You are here, you are holy, you're standing in your glory. Wow, I mean, when you were singing that, I couldn't help but think about what we talked about last week, you know, the shepherds, you know, standing there at night in the field and all of a sudden, right, in his glory, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, But then, you know, to think about the fact that as a result of Emmanuel, God coming and being with us, that Jesus lived and lived a perfect life, died in our place, rose from the grave, that he, according to Scripture, is now tabernacles within us. And so when we say, you are here, you are holy, do you realize, I mean, just like to think about the fact that if the Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer, that you are a walking temple of the Holy Spirit, and that the glory of the Lord is carried around wherever you go. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Beautiful song. Thank you for picking that out, Ivan. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's join together in prayer, shall we? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. What a, what a privilege for us to gather here. Uh, community of, of believers brothers and sisters in Christ coming together to worship you, to to study your word, to better understand more about who you are and your character, and to better understand uh, this gift that came to us uh, wrapped in human flesh, Jesus, the baby in the manger. And God, we confess that, that even though what we just talked about is so true that we are tabernacles of your Holy Spirit, sometimes, God, we allow our flesh to get in the way of the glory that you want to shine through our lives. And God, I just pray that each one of us today would find ourselves just a little closer to the image of your son Jesus than we were yesterday. Uh, that maybe today we would take a step forward in our relationship with you where we take it more serious, that we would truly embrace the truth of your word and that we would walk out of this place today with the power of your Holy Spirit shining bright for your glory. God, I pray that if there's anything that I've prepared to say that isn't from you, that that it would disappear from the pages in front of me. And I pray, God, that you would speak through me and challenge each of us to to walk closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last Sunday... I had fun. That was, I really, I was like, can I just preach that one again? You know, like, I would love to do that message again. I, I was so excited um, just about the angels and, and the shepherds. And man, I think we could do the theme of joy every week. I would not mind. That was, that was fun. Uh, but today we're looking at the theme of peace, and, and that is good too. So we're going to take a look at the same passage again uh, this week. But last week we talked about this good news of great joy that was proclaimed uh, by an angel to the shepherds and made a pretty strong point that to me it never really occurred, but that the angels probably understood better than anybody the significance of the baby in the manger because they knew that Jesus wasn't just a human baby, but he was God wrapped in flesh. Like they understood that. The angels knew Jesus, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, before he was ever born as a human. The Bible says in Colossians 1.16, 
that all things, including angels, right, were made by Jesus and they were made for Jesus. So they had known and they had worshipped Jesus for as long as they had existed. And on that first Christmas night, they knew that God had stepped into the world that he had created and wrapped himself in the flesh of a tiny human baby. And we said that that was good news of great joy, right? And as I pointed out last week, I believe it is still good news of great joy. We just sang it, Emmanuel, God with us, right? That is like the best news ever, right? That God is with us. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Today we'll read verses 8 through 14. Uh, We read this last week, but we'll read it again. And again, if you are able to, I would just invite you to stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You may be seated. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that these words, those words that I just read, are the angelic host's response to the good news that the first angel had just declared to the shepherds. So their response was glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the good news, according to verse 11, was that for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, a Savior. The good news is that a Savior has been born. And that Savior is Christ the Lord. And we, we, we looked a lot closer at this passage uh, last week. So if you, did, if you weren't here, uh, by all means, I think you can pick up a CD. Uh, but in short, Christ the Lord is saying that He is the long-awaited Messiah who is God wrapped in human flesh, which is, I mean, I I think to me is just absolutely, I still can't get my head around it completely, right? It's mind-blowing. And an angel said that this is good news of great joy. And so they respond now. So the angel says, this is the good news. And the angels respond by saying, glory to God in the highest, right? And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So according to the angels, the birth of Christ brings glory to God in the highest, right? And on earth, peace. It's, it's impacting both heaven 
and earth. And last Sunday, I told you that today we were going to just focus on the second half of, of that proclamation by the angelic host. That is the peace on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So that's what we're going to look at today. We've been focusing actually all morning on this, this idea of peace as we you know, celebrate the, the Advent season. And I think for a lot of people, I think for a lot of people, when they hear the word peace at Christmas time, I think especially at, at Christmas time, right? When you hear the word peace, I think there's generally two thoughts maybe that come into our, our minds. And the first is a picture of, of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, right? All together under a soft moonlight, right? And you've got, you've got the sound just gently playing in the background of Silent Night, right? <laughs> Sleep in heavenly. Ah, you guys sound good. <laughs> it's a beautiful thought. I don't think it's anything like that first night was. Um, it, I'm pretty sure it was a pretty normal birth, <laughs> and I've seen three. <laughs> they weren't peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my life's been peaceful since, you know. Um, so, um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was like that. The second thought that comes to mind, I think, when we hear the word peace, is the idea or, or the hope for peace to exist here on earth. Like, how wonderful would it be to live in a world where there are no wars, no hate, that literally people genuinely care for and love each other? You've probably seen those Christmas cards, right? Peace on earth. Some of you probably sent out those Christmas cards this year. Goodwill to men. It sounds wonderful, right? But is that what this verse is saying? I mean, it's awesome. And if you sent those cards out, it's okay. It's okay. Don't, like, run to the post office and try to retract them. But is that what the angels are saying here? Is that the birth of the Savior has now brought peace on earth, that there's no more war, no more hate? Well, clearly, history tells us that that is not the case. The first advent of Christ did not usher in a time of worldwide peace, right? Certainly not even at the time when Jesus was living, right? Definitely not in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was wiped out by the Romans, right? And there's been wars and hate and all of that ever since, right? I mean, you only have to turn on the daily news right now or pick up a newspaper and you know that our world is still filled with war and still filled with hate. In 1863, some of my history buffs here already know what was happening in America at that time. It's the Civil War, right? 
1863, American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote a poem called Christmas Bells. I Hear the Bells on Christmas Day is the carol that came out of that poem. Let me read you part of that poem. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. What is Longfellow saying here? Day after day, year after year, the bells ring and the people sing of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's beautiful, right? The reality is that the ringing bells and the songs of peace on earth are being contrasted for Longfellow with the reality of the civil war that had divided his country in two. And so his poem continues, and he says, Then from each black accursed mouth the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow, before, before he wrote this uh, poem, his wife had just recently passed, um, tragically. And then during the Civil War, his son was, was, was uh, wounded badly. And in that context, he writes this song contrasting the, the proclamations of peace on earth, goodwill to men, but what does he see happening all around him? It doesn't match up, and it's the same today. While millions are sending out Christmas cards with hopeful words of peace on earth, our world remains divided, and the newspapers and the broadcast are filled with stories of hate and war. I know what you're thinking. This is an awesome Christmas message. <laughs> this is... I really, <laughs> as I'm writing this, I, was, I actually thought, I was like, man, the people are going to be so sad by this point. Hate, war, <laughs> but it's reality. So if the angels are not saying that Jesus' birth had brought peace on earth, as in the absence of war and you know, a widespread healing of, of, of relationships between mankind, what? Did they mean? But before we answer that, I do want to just pause briefly to, to talk about the different translations of this verse because I think it actually will help us to understand why that emphasis 
has become so prominent, whether it's in the carols or whether it's on Christmas cards. For those of you who have a King James Version of the Bible, you'll see that the words of the angelic hosts are translated this way. Glory to God in the highest, comma, and on earth peace, comma, goodwill toward men. So reading that version, we would conclude that the birth of the Savior brings glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, and goodwill toward men, just like the Christmas carol and just like the Christmas cards would suggest, because they're quoting the King James Version of the Bible, right? And I want to make sure I say this because um, you might get the wrong impression. I'm not saying it's a bad translation. In fact, it's a very great translation that was awesome for, uh, for, for spreading the good news for a long time. But it was written and published in 1611. And after the King James Version of the Bible came out in the 1600s, archaeologists have continued to discover earlier Greek manuscripts And, 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 and linguists have continued to study Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, and they've studied the languages, not just from the biblical sources, from extra-biblical sources to better understand what words mean. It's a, good, it's a good thing to study. And from those studies and from those manuscripts, newer translations of the Bible have been produced since 1611. And after considering the Greek manuscripts, newer translations of the Bible translate the second half of that verse a little differently. Let me give you a quick sampling. The New American Standard Bible, which, by the way, is the translation that Pastor Russ uh, usually teaches from, second half of that verse says, And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The NIV version says, And on earth, Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Actually, I think I prefer that translation over all of them. And then the ESV version, which is the translation that I typically teach from, is, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so you can see that there is a difference between the earlier King James Version and the more recent translations. And... Just as a side note, that's why I continue to support the development of newer translations of Scripture. As our knowledge of the original languages, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, continues to grow, and as discoveries of earlier manuscripts continue to be found, we are better able to translate from the original languages into our language what the original text has said. But again, I'm not saying if you use the King James Bible, I actually enjoy reading the King James Bible occasionally. Um, but um, I'm just saying from time to time, when you see a difference in translation, let's look at why. Uh, just there's just more evidence now available from looking at er, uh, earlier manuscripts than when, when the King James was, was translated. So, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. According to the angels... The birth of the Savior Jesus brings peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, before we take a closer look at what that peace 
is, I need to take a moment to address who the recipients of that peace are. The text says that this peace is among those with whom he is pleased. What does that mean? Because, by the way, if you read that just at first glance, it might sound like, oh, so if I, if I work hard enough, if I do enough good, then I'll please God, and then I get his peace, right? That's the way it might look. But you know that that flies in the, in the face of the rest of Scripture, doesn't it? That we can't earn God's favor, can we, according to Scripture? Uh, see Ephesians 2, verse 9 for that. So what does it mean? Well, the Greek words that are used here literally means those of his good pleasure. Those of his good pleasure. So the idea is that the recipients of this peace are those whom God is pleased to give it to. Those of his good pleasure. And last week, last week we talked about how God's gift of a Savior is available to everyone. That's what the first angel said. But it must be received individually. In verse 10, the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Right? God's gift of salvation is available to everyone But God's word tells us that it is a gift that must be received individually, personally. And we looked at John chapter 3, verse 16, that says, For God so loved the world, everyone, that he gave his only son, that whoever, individually, believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We also looked at John chapter 1, verse 12, which says, But to all who did receive him... Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So, who are the people? These are the people of God's good pleasure. Those who respond by receiving God's gift of a Savior. How do you know if you're one of those people? Have you responded to the gift that he's offered? If you've responded to that gift and received his son, the Savior then you are someone of his good pleasure. Does that make sense? So, what is this peace that we have received? If it's not the absence of war, and it's not the widespread healing of relationships between mankind, what is it? Well, the answer is peace with God. Peace with God. Peace between God and and us. The good news that was proclaimed is that a Savior has come to heal the broken relationship between God and mankind. That's what the Messiah came to do. Ever since the fall of man in Genesis, right? We've got a wedge between us called sin. And God said, I'm not content with that. I'm going to send a Savior to heal the broken relationship, to bring peace to the relationship between God and mankind. So let's talk about this peace. I believe this peace that the angels described is experienced in in three, at least three ways. There are more. We're going to focus on three of them today. First and foremost, I mean, this is like 
when I say first and foremost, like here's first and foremost is like way, I mean, it's like, it's like way out here and everything else is way behind, okay? But first, premier, primo, the good news is that Jesus provides a way for peace with God, peace with God. Let's call this vertical peace or, or upward peace. Uh, I only threw those in there to hopefully, hopefully help you remember later. Peace with God. In the Old Testament, we read this earlier, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words about the Savior who would come. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He would be the Prince of Peace because he would bring peace between God and mankind. And how would he do it? By paying the price for our sins. And what is that price? Death. Right? Book of Romans, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The prince of peace came to die in our place. To pay the penalty for our sins. He came to pay that. Again, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah foretold how Jesus would bring peace between God and mankind. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, we read that he, the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. You've got to remember, I, know, I assume a lot sometimes when we're up here talk, preaching, Isaiah is written long before Jesus was born. And you think about that when you read these words, and it's like, wow. Man, prophecy is amazing, isn't it? Isaiah wrote long before Jesus was born. He said he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. I gotta tell you, that's good news of great joy, right? The Savior was born to die for our sins. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says that God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died in our place to bring peace between God and us. If you put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God has forgiven you of your sins and saved you. That's pretty awesome. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's an awesome promise. It's good news. God sent his son so we could have peace with God. God. Probably the best verse in the Bible about this is in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1, it's a verse that Pastor Henry looked at a couple of weeks ago. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, justified by faith means that our sins have been forgiven, 
by faith. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's something that we can be thankful for every single day. Amen? Amen. Positionally, positionally, vertically, if you have put your faith in Christ, you, it's not like you will have peace. You have peace with God. A peace accord has been signed. It's there. You have peace. And it's not one that's going to be broken. It's real and it's lasting. You have peace with God. That is so cool. Something to be so thankful for. So first and foremost, I mean, again, it's it's by a long shot. This peace is, the good news is that that, that Jesus provides a way for us to have peace with God with God. Secondly, for those who have peace with God, Jesus provides us a a way to experience the peace of God. We're going to call this internal peace or, or, or inward peace. So we have vertical peace. We have that. If you're a follower of Christ, you have peace with God. But not everybody who has peace with God is experiencing the peace of God. And, by the way, you can't experience the peace of God until you have peace with God. Pastor Greg Laurie says, you cannot have the peace of God until you have first have peace with God. That wasn't new to me. I mean, it was, no, it's not new to me. That was not original with me. (laughs) That's what I was trying to say. You cannot have the peace of God until you first have peace with God. But if you have peace with God, you can have the peace of God. Do you know? I mean, do you really know? Do you understand that Jesus wants you to not just have peace with God? He wants you to experience the peace of God. I got to tell you, as a pastor, as a fellow brother in the Lord, it breaks my heart to see how many Christians who have peace with God are not experiencing the peace of God, internal peace, because it's made available to us through Jesus Christ. And he wants us to know both. Not just one. He wants you to know this peace. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking with his disciples. And he is trying to prepare them for his departure. He's leaving soon. And he knows that that he's going to die. He knows how difficult the journey is going to be for his followers. He understands the suffering that they're going to endure. And he says to them in verse 1 of John chapter 14, he says, let uh, John chapter 4, he says, 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's how he sets up this chapter. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Christians, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in his son, Jesus. Right? That's what Jesus is saying to you in John 14. 
And at the end of uh, that, that chapter, well, in verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do, uh, gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You think Jesus wants you to have the peace of God in your life? You bet he does. But fear, fear, anxiety, these things, they rob us of the peace of God that is available to us. So rather than living in fear, Jesus calls us to walk by faith. Faith that he is sovereign. Faith that he is in control. Faith that he, he knows the good and the bad that's going to come your way. Right? And he allows it. Faith that he is with us through all of our joys and through all of our pain. We are never alone. The last verse of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says as follows, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Believe in God. <laughs> Believe also in me, Jesus said. So rather than live in fear, God calls us to bring our fears where? To him. Rather than be consumed with all the things you don't know, rather than be consumed with all the things that you don't understand, rather than be consumed with all the circumstances that are keeping you up at night, God says, stop. Bring those to me. Bring them to me. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, I got to say, these are like some of my favorite words of Scripture. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Those are the instructions, right? This is what you're supposed to do. And then verse 7. I just love this. And, so it's, there's a condition here, right? You, you do this. And the peace of God. The peace of God. Man, we want that peace, don't we? Which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Ah, amen, right? I cannot even tell you how many times in my life I have had to cling to the truth of that verse. People always ask, like, what's your life verse? I mean, I have so many. Like, life verse. I never really quote this one as my life verse. But if you actually ask me, what's the verse that you've run to the most in your life? Maybe this one, these two right here. Because I'm, I, we're all the same, right? We're all tempted to, to worry and stress and, and be filled with fear about so many things in our lives. And I have to remind myself to bring it to Him. 
I can't tell you how many times I've been comforted, comforted with the thought, this, this picture of Jesus guarding my heart and guarding my mind. I pray for that. In those times when I'm feeling anxiety and stress and fear and worry, my prayer is, Jesus, please, I'm bringing this to you. Would you please guard my heart? Would you guard my mind? And would you fill me with the peace that surpasses understanding? Because that's what he's telling us to do. And I'm telling you, he's done it. And he does it in my life. When we are faithful to do what he's called us to do, he is faithful to fulfill his promises. But I think sometimes we're still trying to hold on to these things, aren't we? We don't just bring him to him. We, we, we make him aware of it. Like, I think you know, God, that I'm dealing with this. And I need your help with it. And um, I'll do my part. I'll keep fixing it. And if you want to help, you can. It's like... Just, just give it to him, right? Give it to him. Stop holding on to it. We need to give these things to him. I love those verses. Rather than focus on fears, we're to bring them to God. Instead of focusing on troubles, <laughs> I love the fact that Paul continues in this passage to give us more instructions. They're, they're awesome. He tells us to focus on some other things in the next couple of verses. And I really believe, by the way, that the things he tells us to focus on are things which bring God glory. These are things that bring God glory. Which is interesting because in this passage that we're looking at, you know, the first thing the angels do is they bring glory to God in the highest and they announce peace on earth. And I really believe that the people who are focused on the glory of God will be the recipients of his peace. You want the glory of God? You want the peace of God in your life? Focus on the glory of God with your life, Right? When you make it your aim to glorify God in every area of your life, you cannot help but receive the peace of God moving through your life. In verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise... Think about these things. I love the fact that he doesn't just say, don't worry. He tells you what to think about. Focus on these things instead. What you have learned, verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And here's another promise. And the God of peace will be with you. That's awesome. That's so good. The good news of great joy is that Jesus provides a way for peace with God vertically and peace of God internally, right? Thirdly, Jesus provides a way for us to live peaceably with others. We'll call this horizontal peace or outward peace. In Romans chapter 12, Verses 14 through 18, this is how we're instructed. Bless those who persecute you. Now, I don't like that one. <laughs> we don't like that, do we? Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. 
Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. In this verse, if there's one verse that I feel like I've, I've, I've used in counseling more than any other verse, this one's been used a lot. Verse 18, chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I can't own other people, right? But am I doing everything in my power to live peaceably with all? Am I blessing those who persecute me? And to love others and to bless those who persecute you in the way that Jesus is calling us to love them and bless them is only possible as we surrender our hearts and our lives to His control and His plans. When we have peace with God and we, and we experience the peace of God, we become enabled to be peacemakers with others, right? And we need to remember, we need to remember that we are Christ's ambassadors. That was talked about, I, I believe, just a few weeks by Pastor Rick Oxner. God wants to use us to help others experience peace with God. We need to remember that people are not our enemy, right? They are souls who need peace with God. They're not your enemy. There is an enemy of our souls. That would be Satan. And those who don't know Jesus are not our enemies. They are people who Jesus died for. And our heart, rather than retaliation, we should be praying for them to have peace with God. Amen? Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, We are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In other words, I am Christ's representative, and I am imploring you to be reconciled to God. You need peace with God. That's the message that we've been given to bring to the world. You need peace with God, so that you can experience the peace of God, and then you can join me as a peacemaker among people. Isn't that awesome? But the hard and sad truth is that, as awesome as that is, many people are not willing to receive the gift of God's Son. Not everybody will receive the Savior that God has sent. And the hard truth is that as we seek to follow Jesus and live our lives for Him, some will not only reject God's gift, but they may be openly antagonistic, even hostile towards God and you as you seek to live for Him. That's a bummer.
It'd be awesome if, if the reality was everywhere, if we, if we just preached the good news and everybody said, really? That's awesome. And they received it and they repented and they began, joined you on the mission, right? But it wasn't that way when Jesus proclaimed the truth. And I guarantee none of us are as good at communicating as he was. It wasn't that way for the apostles. And it's not going to be that way for us. The reality is people are going to reject it. People are going to hate you as you seek to follow Jesus. It's just Jesus said that would happen. Even in your own family, he said. So, what is our job when that happens? What do we do when people are hostile towards us as we seek to live for Christ? You keep loving them, and you pray for them. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, I think in the original language, what it means is just, you know, retaliate. I think that's what it means. Right? I mean, it's just so plain. It's so obvious right in front of you. What are we supposed to do? Love them. Pray for them. <laughs> if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Is it easy? No. Which is awesome because it keeps you dependent on him to be able to accomplish it, which is where we need to be, right? We need him to move through us to be able to do these things. So the good news of great joy is that God sent a savior. And that savior, Jesus, has made a way for us to have peace with God something we couldn't have without him. And the good news is that because we have peace with God, we're able to experience the peace of God. And as we walk in obedience to him and we fix our hearts and minds on his glory and his plan for our lives, he gives us the ability to live peaceably with others. And so my hope for you this Christmas and each day is that for those who have never received the gift of God's Savior, that today would be a day that you would choose to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, to ask God to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life. It's something that I would be happy to talk with you about after. If you have questions about what that would look like, I don't want to make it sound like it's just some sort of like easy thing. I just got done telling you that life is hard. Following Jesus is hard. People will be your enemies. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. Amen. There is no greater gift than peace with God. It's the thing we all need the most. That's why God sent a Savior. And for those of you who have already received God's gift, and you've experienced peace with God, my prayer for you is that you would also know the peace of God in your heart. And in your mind. And then lastly, my prayer is that for all of us who know Jesus, is that we would follow his lead and invite others to receive his salvation and experience peace with God.
When we began this morning, I read part of the poem, Christmas Bells, by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And I left off with these words. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, that wasn't the end of the poem. Longfellow closed that poem with these words. He said, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. You can rest assured, there is a day coming when Jesus will return and establish an eternal kingdom where there will be no more hate. There will be no more war. And in the end, the enemy of our soul is going to be defeated. And for those, for those who are of his good pleasure, we will live with him forever in perfect peace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a day that will be. We look forward to it. We pray for your soon return. But we recognize that you didn't come back yesterday. We know that you will come, but you didn't come back yesterday, and you haven't come back yet today, which means there must be others who still need to know peace with God. And so our prayer, God, is that you would use us as your ambassadors to carry this message that peace with God is available. And those who have peace with God can experience the peace of God. And together we can lock arms and tell more people about this peace that is available through your son, Jesus, our Savior. Thank you, Jesus for coming to this earth. God, thank you so much for paying the price for our sins. God, thank you so much for, for living a perfect life and dying in our place and rising victoriously over death. Thank you that you are alive. Thank you for the, for the hope that you will come again. Thank you for peace. We love you, Jesus. We pray for your blessing on each of those whom are of your good pleasure. And for those who have not received your son yet, we pray that today would be a day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.